Well, would you open your Bibles this morning to the book of John, chapter 15. John chapter 15. I want to begin today by reading the first eight verses. You follow along as I read aloud from John chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me." I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that in our time, in your word today, that you would teach us what we need to know that you would change us how we need to be changed, that we might be more like Christ and glorify you more. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Every year, I spend some time considering what emphasis might be good for us as a church family to have in the new year. And it's something that I do think and pray about often. And over the years, I've, we've had various themes. We've had uh, the theme of pressing on, a good, strong foundation was another theme. Last year, it was sowing and growing. And I'll be honest that this year, as I, as I considered the idea, I, I really was some time before... I felt settled in my heart about um, what would be a good thing for us as a church to really give some time to especially emphasize in 2024. But the Lord kept bringing some verses back to my mind that many years ago the Lord began to teach me the meaning of, and it made probably the greatest difference in my personal Christian walk, life, in my walk with God, than, than any other single thing. And the verses were the ones that I've read to you this morning that talk about you and I abiding in Christ. And as I thought about it and as I prayed about it, I truly believe that it would be good for all of us to take some time, especially at this first of the year, 
to try and understand a little better what does that mean to abide in Christ. In John 15 and verse number 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. In this whole passage, Jesus is using an illustration of of a vine to help us understand the vital connection that we are supposed to have with Him and just how dependent we are on Christ for everything. Our home, just around the corner here on Chilton Woods Road, is built on a piece of land that was untouched, as best as we can tell, for generations. And when we purchased it, it was just a tangled mess of pine trees and hardwoods and lots and lots of vines. We had muscadine vines. We had poison ivy vines. We had vines with thorns. We had vines with flowers. We had some vines that I've never seen before, and I'm afraid to touch them. Vines everywhere. There were so many vines that it was difficult to even walk through the woods, and they were actually threatening the health of the trees. Some of them would even cause a very irritating rash if you got too close to them. At one point when we were working on the property, we were doing a lot of mulching of, of trees that had been cut down and knocked down, and, uh, and I got a rash on my arm from something uh, that, I don't know, I don't think it was poison ivy because I've never gotten a, a rash this severe, this dark, this deep that left a scar, but it was bad. <laughs> and you, if you know my son Caleb, he's extremely allergic to poison ivy. He can break out just from looking at a picture of it in a magazine. So he also was blessed that day with poison ivy. There were vines everywhere. Now to pull all of those out of the trees would have been impossible without damaging the trees. We actually had one uh, tree next to our driveway that had a vine in it, and I was trying to get the vine out of it, and so I'd cut it off at the the bottom, and I first tried pulling on it by hand, and it wasn't coming, and so I tied it to the four-wheeler, and it still wasn't coming. And at that point, I said, I'm not asking. And I tied it to the truck. And it literally broke a limb this big out of the top of the tree as I was trying to pull that vine out. So I couldn't pull them all out. To spray it all with herbicide to kill them would have cost a fortune. So instead, I've employed a very simple but extremely effective technique. As I'm working my way through our property and cleaning up the woods, when I come across a vine that's going up a tree... I simply cut the vine off at the ground, and I walk away. I know that if I cut that vine, whether it's an inch around or whether it's four inches around, if I cut that vine off at the ground, everything from that point that I cut on up is going to die. It can't live because I have disconnected it from the root and from the stem. It's remarkably effective. And so I just plan on letting nature take its course, and as those vines in the tops die, they'll fall down, and eventually uh, everything will be much, much better. The reason that this is so effective is because the branches in the top of the tree are unable to sustain themselves. Without the life of the vine 
flowing through the roots, up through the main stem and and trunk of the vine, the branches will inevitably die. The branches cannot live without their vital connection to the vine. Now, as simple as this idea is, it has profound implications in the spiritual world. And in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, Jesus uses this truth to help us understand how important our relationship with Him really is. I draw your attention back to verse number 5, particularly. Because there He says, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, For without me, ye can do nothing. Without Christ, we are dead. For that reason, it is of vital importance that we stay connected to Christ by abiding in Him. That means never acting independently of Jesus, but always depending on Him for all things. Every word we speak, every thought we think, every action we take must be done with an awareness of our dependency on Christ. Just as a branch cannot exist without the vine, we are completely dependent on Christ for everything. He is not just our main source of spiritual life. He is our only source of spiritual life. Our life without Christ will be dry and fragile and fruitless. It will be a drudgery and not a delight. But if we abide in Him, we will enjoy the blessings of His life flowing through us. And that results in a fruitfulness that brings joy to our lives and glory to God. And over the next several weeks, we're going to take time to look at this passage of Scripture in some detail. Starting today with verse number 1 where Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Now before we look at what Jesus states in verse number 1, we need to back up just a little bit and make sure that we understand what it means to have an abiding relationship with Jesus. What does it mean to abide in Christ? For context, we go back to John chapter 14. And in this passage of Scripture, actually going back to chapter 13, Jesus is having a private conversation with His disciples. This is not a public discourse. This is a very close-knit group that Jesus is addressing His 12 chosen disciples. And it's at this same time that the Last Supper occurs, that Jesus washes washes the disciples' feet, And all of these things are occurring in this passage of Scripture, these several chapters here. But when we go to chapter 14, we find that Jesus is telling His disciples that He's going to be going away from them in just a short while. He's he's getting them prepared for the crucifixion. Letting them know that He's going to be taken, He's going to be killed. And then even beyond that, He's preparing them for the ascension. That the fact, the fact that Jesus was not always going to be on earth with them. One day he was going to go back to heaven. 
But that was okay because he's going to prepare a place for them. And he says at the beginning of chapter 14 that if he goes, that he would come back and receive us to himself. So that where he is, we may be also so that we might be together. So there's this preparation for upcoming events that are going to be very difficult, but there's encouragement in that, that it's going to be okay because it's all a part of God's plan. And in the midst of this, Jesus also promises them that he's going to send the Holy Spirit who would be the comforter, who would dwell with them between the time that Jesus left and ascended back to heaven and the time that he comes again to receive us to himself. And in the middle of this discourse... One of the disciples by the name of Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple named Judas, he asked Jesus a question. Look at John 14 and verse 23, or verse 22. He said, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? So he's asking Jesus, why are you revealing yourself so clearly to us, but not to the entire planet? Why, why are there only a few of us? who get to know you so well. And Jesus answers in verse number 23, John 14. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. See the word abode there? There's the introduction of the idea of an abiding relationship. Jesus says, we, speaking of himself and God the Father, will make their abode with the one who loves and obeys Jesus' teaching. The idea of to make their abode simply means to take up residence with, to dwell with, or to live with. But... It is more than just a coexistence. The idea is that it is a happy, loving relationship from which you do not wander. The concept of abiding emphasizes a consistency of dwelling together. And that that relationship is not forced, but it is willing and it is loving. Abiding, then, if you want a very simple definition, is remaining with someone because you love them. That's what it means in this context to abide. To remain with someone because you love them. Now, we're going to return to this concept frequently over the next few weeks. But I want to begin today with a basic understanding of what it means to abide with Christ. Now let's look at verse number 1 again of chapter 15, where Jesus, to begin this illustration, identifies two of the main characters in the illustration. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. So in chapter 15... Jesus is using this illustration of the vine and its branches to explain what the abiding relationship looks like in practice and why it is so important, how we maintain it, what will be the results of it. And he begins by stating that he, in this illustration, is the true vine. Now, there are many kind of vines in the world. We've talked about a few already this morning. Some are good. 
some not so good. But the most common kind of vine that's found in agriculture would be a grapevine. And that's almost certainly the kind of vine that Jesus was referring to in this example. And with a grapevine, you have the main stem or the trunk of the vine that comes up from the ground, from the roots. And then from the trunk, you have the parts of the vine that split off to form the arms and the branches and all the various parts of the vine. So in this illustration, we're dividing the vine into two parts. We have the branches and we have everything else below them. And Jesus identifies that the trunk or the stem or the main vine in the illustration is himself. Now, what is the function of the trunk and the roots of a vine? Let's, let's think about this for a minute. What is the function of the trunk and the roots of the vine? Their job is to transfer the necessary elements to the branches so that the branches can thrive, so that the branches can grow, and so ultimately the branches can produce fruit. So the roots draw in water and with that nutrients from the soil, which then moves up through the trunk and on out to the branches. Now without the water and the nutrients that, are, that flow through the roots and the trunk, going out to the branches, the branches cannot survive. So the vine is the part of the plant that gives life to the branches. With this basic understanding, it's easy to begin to see what Jesus meant when he said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He is the one that gives us life. That is true of physical life. He is the one who created everything that is. He's the one that created us. When God made man, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So it's true of physical life. But the emphasis here is on the spiritual life. Because without Christ, we have no spiritual life. Without Christ, we are spiritually dead. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before salvation, before we accepted Christ, we were spiritually dead. We had no spiritual life of our own. We were separated from God because of our sin. Now that doesn't mean that we were inactive like a corpse in a casket. On the contrary, according to Ephesians 2 verses 2 and 3, we were very actively living out our spiritual deadness. We were walking according to the course of this world. We were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The spiritual deadness does not mean inactivity, but rather it means that our soul was separated from God because of sin. And because of that separation, we were facing death and hell for eternity. But through Christ, we have been given spiritual life. When we place our faith in Him, we are given eternal life so that we are no longer separated from God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He hath loved us, even so when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Christ is the only source of spiritual life. 
And that is why He is the vine. Now, it's an important question to consider. Are there any other sources of spiritual life? Can we look anywhere else? If Jesus is the only vine, then that's significant. But if He's just one of many, many potential sources that we could connect ourselves to to receive spiritual life, then it's not as significant. Notice what Jesus said in John 15, verse number 1. He said, I am the true vine. If you mark in your Bibles, circle or underline that word true there. The word true there has the idea of one that is not only the name and resemblance of something, but the real nature corresponding to the name. In every aspect corresponding to the idea signified by the name. It is real. It is genuine. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. As I was studying through this, it kind of challenged my thinking at this point. Because the way that I've approached it in the past was that the vine illustrates Jesus. But based on what Jesus says in verse number 1, it's the other way around. Let me say it this way. Jesus is the real thing, and the vine is the copy. What do I mean by that? Jesus is not just a vine in a figurative sense. He is a vine in the genuine, literal sense. Some will say, well, he's not made of wood, he doesn't have bark, and he doesn't have leaves. What do you mean he's a literal vine? How can he be called a literal, genuine vine? He says, I'm the true vine because he is the real vine through which the realist life, spiritual life, flows. The vines of creation, the grapevine, the muscadine vine, the ivy vine, those are just copies of the real thing. Those are just illustrations of the genuine life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. The grapevine mimics Jesus and how the life flows through it to the branches. Jesus is the original vine and he's the only vine. You know, when we, when we look at creation, everything in creation is designed to point us to God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are seen, are clearly seen. Our, our temptation is to think that God took creation and said, Okay, yeah, I'm kind of like that. But actually, God created everything to be a copy of Him and a picture of Him so that we might better understand Him. And so when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, He's emphasizing the fact here that He is the only source of spiritual life and that without Him, we will remain spiritually dead. 
John 14 and verse number 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Our world hates that message. They say, how dare you be so exclusive? How dare you be so narrow-minded? How dare you be so judgmental to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? If there's a heaven at all, the world would say, then everybody should get to pick their own way to get there. And if somebody wants to go through Islam and believe in Muhammad, that's their way, that's fine. If somebody wants to go through Mormonism and follow Joseph Smith, that's their way. If somebody wants to go through the Catholic Church and, and follow their doctrine, that's their way. Everybody should get to pick their own way. But Jesus could not have been clearer when he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. When he said in John 15, verse number 5, without me, you can do nothing. This is, these are statements of total exclusion. He is the only source of spiritual life. In Acts 4 and verse number 12, the apostle said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you are saved today, it's because there came a point in your life where you realized that only Jesus could save you. And you trusted Him to save you and Him alone. You didn't add Him to your collection. You didn't say, well, I'll try Jesus for a little while and see if He works. If you're saved, it's because you realize that He is the only life giver. And if you've not come to that point where you have realized and accepted that truth and believed that truth and placed your faith in Jesus alone, my friend, you're not yet connected to the vine. You have taken your poor dry little branch and you have tried connecting it and grafting it to all kinds of other trees, but none of them have spiritual life. And you are still spiritually dead. Many people are looking for spiritual life in, in all the wrong places. Man-made religions can never impart spiritual life. It is only found in Christ because He is the one true vine. And that's why He said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. Jesus is the true vine. But then notice secondly that Jesus identified another important person in this imagery. He said in John 15, verse 1, number 1, And my father is the husbandman. The husbandman. Jesus is the vine that we're told to abide in. And to understand what an abiding relationship with Christ looks like, we need to know not only Jesus' role in the relationship as the vine, but we must also know what God the Father's role in this abiding relationship is. And so having identified Himself as the true vine, Jesus then states that His Father, God the Father, is the husbandman. Now the word husbandman means a person who owns a farm, or in this case, a vineyard. It's the farmer. It's the vine dresser. It's the person who owns the land and the field and the crops. 
So Jesus is the vine, but the Father is the one who owns the whole vineyard. Now, Jesus was careful to make this clear at the beginning. And I think it's important then that we are careful to understand the implications of this truth as we begin to try and have a better understanding of what it means to abide in Christ. Remember that in John chapter 14, Jesus stated that He and the Father would make their abode with those who loved them and obeyed. And Jesus is very intentional now about communicating that even though He's the vine through whom spiritual life flows... It is God the Father who is ultimately in charge of all things and who should ultimately get the glory for the outcome. Jesus said, I'm the true vine and my Father is the husbandman. Here Jesus is asserting the sovereignty of God the Father by designating Him as the owner of the vineyard. Understand that the world belongs to God. Everything that exists is God's. And I don't, I don't mean that in a figurative sense. I mean that literally. Everything belongs to God. Now, in America, we still have a right to own property. Which, by the way, is a biblical right. When God said in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not steal he was emphasizing that you have a right to your property. And nobody can come and just randomly take it. That's wrong. And that's been built into our nation from the very beginning, though there are many who would like to erase that principle today and issue in some kind of communism and socialism. But in this culture that we live in, there is such an emphasis on personal property my stuff, my land, my house, my car, my clothes, my this, my that. There's such an emphasis on this is my stuff that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that it all actually belongs to God. He owns everything because He is the creator of everything. It is God that made the world and all things therein, Acts 17, 24. God declares, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills, Psalm 50 and verse number 10. Everything exists because God created everything, and God sustains everything. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created." This means that God has the right to do with us whatever He chooses. And we have no right to challenge Him. He's the husbandman. He says we must abide, abide in the vine to survive. So you know what that means? We must abide in the vine to survive. When he decides that we need a little pruning so that down the road we can be even more fruitful. We must submit to that process because he is the husbandman. He knows what is best. God is sovereign and he is providentially ruling in our lives. I believe that this is most evident in the pruning process which in John 15 and verse number, um, verse number 2 
Jesus talks about the pruning process when He says, Every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Oftentimes, God will take us through a purging process, not to harm us, but to improve us. The dead wood must be cut off, the unprofitable parts taken away, and the vine dresser knows exactly what to take and what to leave. And though it might be painful for the branches, and even sometimes seem needlessly violent, why are you cutting off so much? It's part of that process to make us more fruitful. Now the point is this, that God the Father is the husbandman. That means that He is providentially ruling in our lives. And therefore, He deserves all the praise for what is done in our lives. Think about it. Using the example of a farmer. If a farmer today were to have a particularly great year, have a bumper crop, because he had worked hard to give the soil the right nutrients, he had, he had, he had taken the necessary steps to, to keep the crop healthy so that at the end of the growing season, he had a phenomenal harvest. Would you and I say, wow, that must be some really good dirt. Now, we might say, yeah, some soil's better than others, but when you look at the work that the farmer put into it, you've got to give credit to the farmer. To bring it closer to home, I know we got many people in here who garden. And if you do any gardening at all, you know that it requires a lot of work on your part. You don't just throw some seeds out there and come back three months later and have a beautiful garden. It doesn't work that way. So if somebody had a especially good year in their garden, would you... Would you look at their garden and say, wow, you must have a much better sunshine over here than we have over where we are. <laughs> no, you would recognize that the results are the work, are the re- come from the work of the gardener or of the farmer. And the same is true in our lives. See, too often we are tempted to take credit for what God has done in our lives. God blesses us in some certain way. And our temptation is to think, yep, it's because I did this and I did that and that's why this happened. No! If there's anything good in our lives at all, it is because God did it. We're not even the vine. We're just a branch on the vine and the Father is the husbandman. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory for anything good that is produced in our lives. Look in John 15 here, verse number 8. Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Isn't that interesting? Jesus did not say, Herein am I glorified. He said, Herein is my Father glorified. If we're going to have an abiding relationship with Christ, then we must have the same attitude toward life that Jesus Himself had. And everything that Jesus did, He did for the glory of the Father. Everything that He did. In John 12, verse number 8, He prayed, Father, glorify Thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John 14, 13. He said, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
In John 17, verse 4, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Everything Jesus does, He does for the glory of the Father. So when the life of Christ is flowing through us to produce spiritual fruit, it is not for the glory of the branch, and it's not even ultimately for the glory of the vine. It is for the glory of God the Father. There's a divine order in Scripture that the Spirit glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father. Everything we do should be done for the glory of God. We exist to bring God glory by living a fruitful life. And to do that, we must abide in Christ. As we work our way through these eight verses of John 15, we'll learn what abiding in Christ looks like in practice and how we express our dependency on Christ, what the results will be in our life. But from the beginning, we must be certain of this one thing above all else. We must know for certain that we have received eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the vine. Now, how can we know that? How can we know that Christ's life is in us? How can we know, to use this illustration, that we are connected to the vine? Well, there's another verse in the book of John that you're probably familiar with that tells us very plainly, John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, here it is, but have everlasting life. How do we know that we have spiritual life and that spiritual life that can only come through Christ? It's simple. Has there been a point in your life where you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Have you made the decision to trust Him? You cannot be depending on your church membership for spiritual life because that is not the true vine. You cannot be depending on your baptism for spiritual life, because Jesus did not say baptism is the true vine. You cannot be depending on your good works for spiritual life, because even our works are like filthy rags. All of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags in God's eyes. The only way you can have spiritual life is in Christ. Have you trusted Him as your Savior? We become connected to the vine through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, was buried and rose again so that we could be forgiven and we could be saved and so that we could be given eternal life. And you cannot have an abiding relationship with Him if you have no relationship with Him at all. You must first respond to the gospel with obedient faith. And trust Christ as your Savior. And then you can learn what it means to abide in Him. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You that You have done all that must be done for us to have eternal life. And Lord, I thank You that You have made it so clear in your word, 
where we can receive eternal life, that it is only found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the only one who can take a spiritually dead sinner and make them alive and give them eternal life. Thank you that Jesus is the true vine. God, I thank you that you are the husbandman. You are sovereign and you are providentially ruling in our lives. Working with us and working in us to make us more fruitful than ever. And Lord, it is my prayer that if there's anyone here today who is not absolutely certain about their salvation, that before they leave, before this invitation ends, they will get it settled. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our midst right now to glorify yourself. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would, for a moment. There might be someone here that though you've heard the gospel many times, and though you may have previously thought to yourself that you were probably saved, the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now, convincing you in your heart that you're not saved. You've been trusting in all of these other sources and all of these other things for spiritual life, but you've never actually placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, until you are connected to the vine... You'll never be able to abide in Him. So here's what I want to invite you to do, friend. I want to invite you to accept Christ as your Savior today. Now you may, you may be wondering even still how exactly to do that. And so I would very much like to help you so that you can know for sure that you're saved before this invitation ends. So here's what I would ask. If you are not 100% certain right now that you are saved, and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of that, would you let us take a Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know that for sure? In just a moment, I will ask you to raise your hand if that's the case. Let me explain what will happen at that point. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to point you out in a way that would specifically identify you. But what I am going to do is I'm going to ask one of our folks who are trained in Scripture who can help you to come meet you where you are. You don't have to leave your seat. You stay right there. They'll come meet you there. And then together, you can go to a quiet corner somewhere in this building and they can talk with you and help you know for sure that you're saved. So if that's you, if you are not 100% certain, and friend, I mean that literally, if there is any doubt in your mind whatsoever, would you let us help you today? Is that you? If so, would you raise your hand right now and let us help you? With the heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm the only one looking right now. Is there anybody like that at all? 
Well, then based on your testimonies, I would say I'm addressing a room full of believers. And I want to encourage you with this thought as we move through our invitation time. Jesus is your only source of spiritual life. He's the only place you're going to find joy. He's the only place you're going to find satisfaction. He's the only place you're going to find peace. He's the only place you're going to find fulfillment. Every spiritual need you have, Jesus is the only one who can meet that. But is He the only one you've been going to? You know, too often we sort of abide in Christ, but we try to draw from a lot of other places, from our friends, from our family, from uh, resources and, that we find in various formats and, instead of truly abiding in Christ. I want to invite you this morning to pray one simple prayer. Lord, teach me what it means to abide in Christ. That's my invitation. I want to invite you to pray that prayer to God right now.